there are two connections to my favorite horror film franchise of all time, which of course is Halloween. Do you know what those connections are? Yes, I do. I know first we have Alan B. McElroy or McElroy, the writer of Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, uh, which is a Halloween film I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. And the other one is director John Ottman, who is the composer of Halloween H2O, 20 years later, the seventh Halloween film in the series. But I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to do a review of Halloween 4, like in depth, but you know, yeah. you saw it at my suggestion, and amongst the Halloween community, Halloween 4 is actually regarded as one of the best sequels in the franchise. And I was, I was glad that you enjoyed it, because I was afraid that you were going to look at it as some like bad 80s slasher film. I think it had some, it was, well, here's in much credit to Alan B. McElroy or McElroy because a lot of it didn't look great. I mean, I think his mask looked like I went into Party City and got a, a, a Michael Myers mask. Which I think is what he did in the movie, right? He just went into a right. party store and grabbed the mask, yeah. But it was just so clean, like he just got it out of the store. Anyway, um, oh, yeah, he did get it from a store. Still, he did get it from a store. <laughs> Drugstore. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a real 80s drugstore, right? Where they had a little of everything. Um, and it wasn't Walgreens no. or CVS or Dwayne. It was, like a, it was a mom and pop's drugstore. Um, yeah, so despite some of the problems that I had with how it looked, I really enjoyed it. I think it was the writing that really stood out. And, uh, you know, the characters were good. And it really, and I've, I've heard it discussed as the first horror soft reboot. Where you're continuing the continuity, but you're also kind of restarting it. You're continuing the continuity. It treats the first film like, yeah, something that happened because it happened ten years ago. But yeah, if you think you of almost the fir- don't need that to have happened, right? Because if you think of the first film, the very first film, even though it shows it briefly when Michael murders his sister, that's kind of the legend that's in that movie, and so. You don't really need to know because Ford does a really good job of just like filling you in over what happened in the first movie, right? So, and second movie, really, because they're the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think that I don't know if this is Alan B. McElroy's first writing credit, it's got to be one of his earliest. Um, but I always liked Halloween 4, and I, I mean, I wouldn't, that's pretty impressive, <laughs> and you know, Not it's, only because it's good, but just because. You know, it's pretty prominent. Well, and it's a horror sequel, right? It's the fourth in a series of horror films. Probably just got it, like, as an assignment. It was probably an early writing gig that he just got, you know, and did it for the money. But it was good. Like, it, and, you know, I'm sure he's gone on to write far better things. I wouldn't point as, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, it's a good episode because he wrote Halloween 4. But as somebody... he wrote any better stuff later. But... I do, I do think that uh, this he wrote this and that's good. Yeah, this episode right. is good. This episode some, is good. Some hits as such as Tekken, the Spawn movie. Oh God, I remember that Spawn. Yeah, the Marine Four moving target. I don't even know what that is. And what is the name of this episode? All is possible. All is possible. So I guess that's a theme. Because my next question to you was going to be, 
what the fuck is going on with this show? I'm, and I mean that in the best way possible. Because as you and I have discussed offline, we love what they're doing with the show this season. But we're like very confused as to how it suddenly got so good. Like, right. just like yeah, that. I guess all is possible. It really has... Uh, the jump in quality has been tremendous. Yeah. From last season to this season. And the strangest part of it is that... It's using elements from last season. Yep. That at the time... Were sort of... We didn't love. and they're But they're making them pay off. Now, I don't think that this retroactively makes last season good. Something like that. It almost feels like last season was a hodgepodge of ideas that weren't fully fleshed out. But then someone involved in this season decided that a good way to write a season is to take some existing storylines and elements and kind of pull them forward. And so someone's doing that. And that seems like such a small thing. That's just normal TV writing. But we haven't seen it in this show in so long that it is truly a shift in the right direction it's like last season they wanted to in a way forget about everything that happened in the first particularly the first season mm-hmm. but um right. this is even referencing the first season. this is even yeah going back that far and and you're right because i was asking you i was i said to myself were they doing this last season and i but I didn't notice maybe it was to a lesser extent because I was too concerned because I just kept focusing on like how storylines are either boring, don't make sense. Things are not connecting because what are we at now? Two weeks now, three weeks where there's a particular theme introduced and it touches all of the individual stories. And the show seems to be following a bit of a soap opera type of format um, I kept saying it reminds me of uh, Saint Elsewhere, which you pointed out. Well, yeah, like a soap opera, where they have where they have different um, storylines that continue throughout the season. Some connected, some not. Yeah, but and I don't need that as a negative thing to call something a soap opera. Right, but I but I I was saying last season that. I was using the unrelated story idea as a negative last season. And I think, and I'm using it as a positive this time, even though that's been, that structure has been consistent. But I think the reason I was using it last season was because I wasn't really interested in the other stories they were telling. So I was looking at, I, I was sort of looking at that as a negatively. Right. It's very similar to, so the thing that I often say when we talk about, well, I don't like how they did a bunch of short, shorter stories that were unrelated, or I don't like how they did one big long season arc, or yeah. and I always say, I don't care what they do, as long as they do it well. Yeah, you can do short you're right. Stories, you can do long stories, you can you're do right. full arcs, you can do single episodes. You just have to do it well. And last season, I don't think they did it well. They didn't do much well. And so, no. you know, that's the problem. This season, it's being done well. And one of the reasons, I think, is that each well, last couple of episodes have kind of had self-contained stories. Yeah. Other than the gray situation, which 
sort of its own thing. But yeah. we know we got two plots here. Both mm-hmm. had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yep. And, and a theme. Very, makes for very satisfying television. Watch. And a theme that was strung through, that was strung through both. Um, I will say on the Adir and Gray situation very quickly. Um, in talking about this on the Trek BBS, somebody said something that I thought was pretty fitting to the two of them. So, because you and I have been wondering how prominent is Gray going to be? Is Gray even going to be prominent at all? Where is Gray going to fit in? And somebody said, well, maybe, maybe like Gray's not going to have a lot of focus. Maybe it's just going to be like, if you think of Adira as Miles O'Brien and Gray is Keiko, who we only saw occasionally, was just sort of like the, the spouse at home who you didn't see all the time. You just saw occasionally, but Keiko was not a prominent figure on Next Gen or Deep Space Nine. There were sometimes episodes that she did factor heavily into, but overall, she was just a recurring character who was not part of the main cast. And when that person said that, I thought, okay, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. That's, that's yeah. okay with me. It's my theory that they're they're gonna break up pretty quickly. Yeah, which I think would be fast would be fine. We could be, actually, I think it would be the coolest outcome. If right. Break up pretty quickly because I assume it's very different to have someone live in your head than to have them be. Able to well, live. yeah, I I think I I I can see that as a possibility, especially with Gray, because now Gray is back into it into a body, and there are things in the world now that he is seen. He's open to these new possibilities. There are new things that can be discovered. Adira is no can you know, you could say Adira is no longer just his world. There's a whole world out there for him to discover. So Yeah. 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 So we've got so that means we have three uh plots here. Yeah. I I first. I have to say that um you know, you came to mind multiple times watching this episode because the main thrust, one of the main plots of this episode was a diplomatic one all about the alliance between the Federation and Navarre. And I had to assume that you were very thrilled to see this type of plot because it's more like an extension of like the conference room scenes. You wanted to see some of those. Now we're seeing some diplomatic stuff like we saw in People of Earth last last season. I do like diplomacy scenes. And diplomacy element of Star Trek, actually. There was a pretty large logic hole. Yep. That uh, I actually was, I noticed, I was watching another review. And so let's get that out of the way first. Okay. In the, in the, in the uh, Federation plot. Yes. With the okay. Negotiation. So okay. Yep. The president said that, um, at one point said, the, the Federation, uh, we, we, or Federation, we would never force a planet to stay that didn't want to stay. And then, so why was there a conflict about wanting to put in a, a clause where they could leave? So that mm. was very strange. Yeah, that was strange. I, mean, I was able to look over it, look past it, and just go along with it. But. Right. You can't expect everything. To it's be. discovery. I mean, no, let's not lose sight of that. They're not going to be perfect every time, right? No, no, no. The quality is still good. I'm willing to overlook that in all honesty. But yeah, yeah I see what you're saying. I was. Yeah, um, that would have been made everything fine. I liked this one because 
Now, I didn't think that the Navarian people were not going to join the Federation. But... Because this kind of factors into the other plot a little bit too with Tilly and the cadets. I liked that sort of old wounds were being reopened that they needed to address before they decided that they before they really decided to come together in common cause which was kind of I think the theme across these two across these two plots because that happens in Tilly's plot as well so I so I like that they were sort of like were addressing the kind of you know not really elephant in the room but they were faced with another situation that could wind up like what happened after the burn and so yeah that's it was the residue yeah. of the burn the right strain on relationships that the burn had caused being dealt with which i still find kind of odd and the only reason i say that is because remember i was saying last season how the burn happened it was like a century ago and yet they all seem to treat it like they experienced it so that's still kind of like why would generation I, I i i guess i'm just confused but i can't point to a real real world example maybe you can why like a century old event would still the ripple effects of that would still be affecting those as if they were still there as if they were there for it you know what i mean as if they lived through that they were the generation that came after so they didn't or generations that came after so they didn't do they just inherit all of this animosity? That's just the, yeah. I think so. I think, so they actually lived under the oppression of the chain. Say if you answer with the Telluride. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so I guess if it's ongoing, and I suppose Navarre lived in this more cut off situation because of what happened, I suppose. Yeah. Can so you th- I guess this one I can understand, but it is true that it was very unclear when the burn happened. I mean, as a history teacher, I know, can you point to any, like, real-world historical examples where this may be... Yeah, you really put me on the spot here. <laughs> um, well, there certainly are situations where, like, there's, for instance, there are parts of Italy yep. where people, where it was Austria, and people speak German and don't really think of themselves as Italian, they think of themselves as Austrian, not that there's any particular huge animosity that I know of. Right. Um, you think someone that brings her kids they faced an oppression. Uh, I mean, I would see. even, but I almost want to point to, I almost want to point to our own like country, the racial, um, you know, divide, but I mean, but even then, that was that's only fifty years ago. So it's not. It's still kind of like it's not. When I think of you know, like the the. You know the, the I'm thinking like I'm thinking of the '60s, right? But um, and that's that one's yeah. still ongoing. Just that's still ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. No, because India, Pakistan, still. Yeah. Argue about borders and things, but they go. They work away nineteen. 19- 48 or something. Yeah. And they divided into India and Pakistan. Mm. In the end, they still have a lot of animosity. For one. But I think things get added, you know? Yeah. They break apart for whatever reason or people are oppressed and then they it sort of continues in different ways on and on. Mm. 
So yeah, and I think that's what we can look at here, where the Tellurides were still being oppressed in different ways. Right. And on the Federation Navarian side, I mean the the basic idea is that they the of this plot is that the Navarians are very close to signing rejoining the Federation, which is what we which is which is paid off because it's established at the in the third season. You know, when Saru has a good relationship with the Navarian president, and I was glad they kind of brought that back as well because that was um was that Unification Three? I believe that was Unification Three. Um which was the the episode that we liked last season. Very so much. um I think it was nice to kind of see it was nice to see that revisited and to see it come full circle of having them rejoin the Federation. But obviously it wasn't gonna happen so easily. They had some things to work out, and of course Michael Burnham and the Discovery are gonna be there to um help resolve this. Yes, and and with Navarre I guess the falling out was more recent because it was after the burn, after they had been doing research trying to figure out the burn. Right. That they had a split. Right. Right. But I this I think that this was the kind of story that uh Discovery doesn't do enough of. The sort of diplomatic side of of things. And bringing the Federation back together. We hope to see some of this. Right. But it's and like I said, what I what I what I was hoping for, and I guess we're kind of getting it, is I'd always said that if you look at Enterprise, it was about the birth of the Federation, the kind of seeding of the Federation, if you will. And this one is so far shaping up to be and I hope this continues. I hope it doesn't I hope like narratively they don't stop with just the Navarians. I want to see you know who else is out that the, that they need to rebuild the Federation with? Because I know that the Navarian president factors heavily into the season, but this season is now becoming sort of a rebirth of the Federation. But I don't. I, I I'm hoping that this particular episode is not the end of that. Well, of that thread, I, I want them to see them keep going. Yeah. So given that a lot of seeds from last season are being mm, watered, watered, uh, yeah, watered and sprouted and get cared for, fertilized, if you will. Mm. Um, remember, there was the situation with um, people of Earth. Yes. And people of Earth said, maybe one day, but this is not that day. So I think that's... Wrong. Yeah, like, we haven't been to Earth yet uh, this season. A culmination for the season, actually. I think, well... Solving the gravity thing. You and I... Both the gravity situation. I'm suspecting. I'm suspecting that when... We get to the end of the season. The it's, Earth is going to be the solar system that the thing is going to threaten, right? That's that's what I'm suspecting. But um, and maybe we'll get something there. You and I talked about last season how we. I remember we speculated last season would the season end with Earth joining the Federation, which didn't happen. Yeah. It didn't end with anybody joining the Federation. Actually, um, it. But it ended with the sort of birth pangs, the rebirth pangs of the Federation. But I think you're right. I think that ulti- I think ultimately this will culminate in Earth rejoining the Federation. Um, so, and I hope we do see the 
you know, the, the people of Earth, because we haven't seen them yet. Um, and it was interesting to me that they didn't act, even last season, that they didn't go back to them. Because when they were sort of getting the lay of the land and they were seeing who was where and what was going on, getting sort of the state of the galaxy, mm-hmm. I thought that Earth was going to eventually factor in heavily into that season and was sort of surprised that it didn't. Well, so I my hope is... Given it, that last season didn't pay off much. Yeah. So uh, I think that that... Well, but I think it will. What I really do like about this whole situation is that we... Michael uses her... Well, sort of we... we the show remembers that Michael is... Uh, culturally Vulcan, you could say. Right. And this is something the show forgets right. for entire seasons. <laughs> yeah, only when it's, it's relevant to the plot, right? Yeah, so it came back right. last season, and here she put herself in as a citizen of Navarre, given that she's... I guess, what is it that makes her a citizen of Navarre? She went to the Vulcan Science Academy? She did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, that makes and she was raised on Vulcan. Yeah. When it was called was, Vul- well. When it was called Vulcan, but yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, um, the fact that that becomes relevant again, and she can be the bridge between them, right? It, it's fine. Well, the fact that she doesn't actually act in any way yep. culturally Vulcan anymore. I mean, she did it one time hmm. on the show, but she really doesn't anymore. But it's fine. They went with it. She went with it. Well, I think. I think even, you know, to go back to the Earth thing for a second, if you think back to last season and then even going into a little bit of this season, they haven't even uttered the word Earth and Federation together. Getting Navarre back into the Federation was clearly of higher importance. Nobody has been sort of vocally lamenting Earth not being part of the Federation. So... Earth was kind of a mess. Well, Earth, I don't think, like, Earth had its own stuff going on, right? They had their own stuff to deal with. The first seems pretty stable. Yeah. Like, Earth, I mean, the planet itself wasn't, like, a mess in terms of, like, you know, like, physically, like, it still was as beautiful as we remember it, but politically, it just seemed like they were kind of, and military, militaristically, they were kind of, like, they, they had some stuff going on. They, 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 they had some stuff going. They, they, they kind of almost had like a. Um, I didn't think of this until recently, when they had the situation with the people on the on Jupiter's on uh, Saturn's moon on Titan, I believe it was. They had like a little bit of a, an expanse thing going on back there that I think needs to be uh, needs to be dealt with. So, but we haven't we haven't revisited it yet. I hope we do. And again, to your point, I hope that it does culminate in Earth rejoining. That to me is like the final step, right? It's not about getting the Beta Z back in there or Ferenginar or anything like that. <laughs> it's about getting Earth back in there. But it, it hasn't been something that they've been but they haven't been revisiting that idea. But I but I, I think I don't feel I don't need to be reminded of that. Sorry, I think. Wait, sorry, say that again. I think I would rather see Beta Z in the Ferengi planet. As a story, I think that would be more interesting because those are planets we don't know much about. I can sort of imagine how the Earth thing's going to go down. I could not imagine how right. the other two planets you mentioned would go down. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely planets I want to know about. Because at the same time, despite being nearly a thousand years in the future, who did join the Federation eventually, even pre-Burn, right? Where are the Klingons? I think the Klingons are supposed to be part of the Federation by this point, but we haven't seen them in this century. 
where the uh, oh we've seen the Andorians I think right did we I think yes. we did yes we did um, what's the you know clearly with the Emerald Chain and the Orions I mean this episode features an Orion who's formerly from the Emerald Chain so uh, well not from the Emerald Chain but like you know was looked at negatively because he was the same race as the Emerald Chain so I think there's still there's still fairly amount of world building I'd like to see. I mean, it's not going to hurt the show if they don't. I just think it would enhance the view, the the my viewership of it because I want to see what else is going on yeah, out there. I, but yeah, really good question. So if the Emerald Chain has not fallen, what has happened to their science academies and their cities and all that? Right. All in the Federation now. Have they yeah. been? Yeah, have they been like absorbed? I mean, I remember like in the opening episode they talked about how a lot more member worlds have joined. But um, they've had a lot more member worlds now. But again, last season they just hand waved what happened to the chain. So after Osira died, but what became of it after that? What became of that scientist played by Kenneth Mitchell in the wheelchair? Like what happened to him? Like there's still a number of questions. I, a number of questions I have with regard to all of that. But and it seemed to me like we we were gonna. It seemed like he was going to be prominent, but yeah. So, but I think um, I liked I liked this story. I liked them working it out and just dealing with the demons of the past and just forging a new path forward. Yeah, I really like to see. So this is another parallel that I saw. So you had. In both stories, you had characters embarked on a mission, expecting one thing, and instead having something much more significant happen. Right. Michael and Saru expected that they would be uh, uh, diplomatic window dressing. Right. When in reality, uh, they became crucial to uh, the deal that was struck. Right. And it seems like possibly it was the president's plan all along mm -hmm. for this to be the case. Yeah. Which, uh, which is fine. Um, but I, I did like that aspect of it. Plus you had Saru, yeah, with his personal relationship also played into it. He gave a nice speech about his planet being cut off and the benefits of connection. Um, at this point, where are you with the Federation president? Do you still feel like Something's not quite right. Oh, I, I, that was, there was, there was not enough to think that was the case. Yeah. I don't know why. I should never listen to an online chatter. Well, I think the first episode, I think that she was in, the, which was the first episode of the season, there was some weirdness there, but I haven't seen any more of that since. Now, granted, this is only three episodes later, so yeah. the show could for, bring it um, back, but yeah. Same for, Cronenberg also. He's been pretty normal since we first saw him. Yeah, which of course he is back this week. So yeah. um, I do wonder, what do you think? He's a doctor, by the way. Yes. Yeah. What do you think for our theory that Michael is on the way to the presidency? Given what happened here, I would say that seems... I, I think so. Another stop on that train. I think, well, I, I, I definitely think yes, because... I think she's definitely heading in that direction. I know I said that 
I think I said that as far back as the first episode of the season. That I think that's where I think she might be going. Because you also have to look at it this way. Now that Michael is captain of the Discovery, or just captain in general, um, in my opinion, that was sort of like, originally, that was kind of like what the ultimate goal for Michael was going to be. Had the show followed through on its original premise, maybe with Brian Fuller, I suspect that maybe that's where we would have been at the at the final episode of the show, Michael being earning a captaincy. So I think now the question is, well, she's a captain now, presumably several seasons early. Where does she go next? And combined with them sort of being that reminder of who of what the Federation used to be, who the Federation used to be coming from a time. And I think Kovic kind of echoes this a little bit in what he says to Tilly. I think that it just, to me, makes sense that that's where Michael is going. If the Federation is truly going to find itself again, find its soul again, rather than instead of just having all these member worlds, I think that Michael Burnham, who comes from a time when the Federation was the Federation as you and I know it, Michael just seems like the logical uh, choice for that. I think that's her next big step, yeah. Agreed, yes. It, it definitely seems like that's what's being set up. Yeah. I mean, it could be... And I, I'm not saying that the current Federation president has some sort of, like, um, evil agenda. It could just oh. be that... It could just be that... Or questionable. Maybe, maybe questionable at times. I don't know. But it could just be that you know, maybe it gets to the point where the Federation president suggests certain things that Michael's like, that's not who, and not like horrible things, but like, you know, like a, like another politician would be like, that's not, that's not who we are. That's not how we should do this. And Michael, maybe Michael runs for election against her. Yeah. Right? I, I hope it's conflict free. Honestly, I hope her term just ends and she just, you know, they're like, you only have a limited term and her term right. is over and then Michael becomes friend. I hope it's, uh, or, you know, I don't want to see any. Or it any, could uh, be, or it could be, I mean, it could be like, now this Federation president is very prominent this season. And I assume will be, I don't think it's going to happen so quickly as end of the season. But she, she seems to be present for a lot of things. I mean, she came with them on that first mission. Maybe something happens that gets her killed and Michael has to kind of step in and make, maybe Michael steps in and takes her place. That's a good point. Right. So I don't know if it's necessarily like a, you know, a questionable or bad agenda, like something may just happen to where Michael has to, Michael decides I'm going to step in and take her place. Yeah. And also Michael hates authority. Who's, who's an authority above the Federation president? Nobody. <laughs> so Michael can almost do whatever she wants. Right. Unless and she gets impeached. Doing a lot better with authority this season. You think the Federation has an impeachment process? They must, right? I would assume so. The series ends with Michael getting impeached. <laughs> I would love it. Michael Rue leads a march on the Capitol. Michael wins, and the Federation president current leads a, you know, it's fake news. I won the election. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that'd be pretty bad. But no, I mean, I know we're getting a little going down the rabbit hole, but um, the Tilly plot. 
I thought was um, interesting. I, I actually didn't, from the sound of it, I didn't think I was going to enjoy it. But it turned out better than I thought. Because a lot of stuff's going on. But it also it takes a Star Trek trope of the crashed shuttle on, a, on an inhospitable planet. Got to find a way to get off. The only thing that it did that I was, ex- that I was not expecting, because usually the way it happens is, if this were the old Star Trek shows, it would be the senior officer who would be injured and the cadets have to learn how to do all the stuff. And this becomes a sort of ultimate training exercise, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I really did like this one a lot. I do. Okay. So I have to have my slight critique of every storyline. So on this one, my slight critique, I would have liked to have seen them pull together and do something more interesting than pull a deer away from an ice thing and run away from monsters. Right. Like, actually overcome some challenge and, but before they got rescued. But, that aside, what I did like about it was the fact that, first, we have a character in Tilly that is searching for her purpose. Right. And she finds out here, she sort of reluctantly goes along and finds out that she's actually quite good at this. She's bringing this, this what to her seems like second nature, teamwork. And yep. she's teaching it to these kids who don't know it. Um, right. Another thing I really, really liked, and this may not be obvious to everyone, I guess maybe people that have kids, certainly teachers. We were told before this season that uh, COVID and post-COVID, not that we're post-COVID, but hopefully we're almost post-COVID, would be a part of the season. And right. so seeing these cadets... In hearing how they have no idea how to work with other people mm-hmm. and have no social skills or, or just the ability to interact in a productive way, yep. this is what the kids of America are facing, especially ones in, in more dense cities that were, you know, had a year and a half of high school and any school level um, online. Yes. They really have lost so many interpersonal skills or just didn't get the chance to gain them. Right. So you're seeing in schools across America more fights, more behavior problems, more lashing out. Um, so that was very interesting to see. And I really appreciated well, that aspect. And it also fits with the world itself in Trek because if you think about it, I mean, Starfleet Academy has just been reestablished. These are species who probably have not had much contact with each other because of the Emerald Chain. And one of them was from the chain, right? It's kind of like, or or excuse me, the species. So he's getting associated with the chain. Yes. And very much like the Navarian Federation plot, it's, it's the, the tearing open, opening of open. It's the tearing open of old wounds that just comes to the surface, but they're in, but unlike the the uh, the other plot, they're in a desperate situation for survival, and they just have to put their differences aside to get off the planet together. Um, and but also like it feed it fed into you're all just making a bunch of assumptions about each other. Like once you actually speak to each other and you learn like oh actually. Because I, I can't remember what the actual circumstance was. Wasn't the... Um, I, I don't have the line in front of me. But didn't it turn out that the... Uh, Orion... He was the son of somebody who actually rejected... 
the chain. Yeah. So, so like, those, actually, so here's another. We're not all thing. like this. Yeah. Here was another great thing. So this was another connection to something that we definitely thought right. did not work last season, which was the right. peace negotiations between um, the the chain and the federation. So this mm. legislator in the I don't know whatever they have a parliament. We'll assume they have a parliament in the parliament. They have a Congress. The ending of slavery legislation that would have satisfied the um, the federation's requirements that they end slavery. And he was very supportive and, and he had been, I guess he had been working as a you know, abolitionist of slavery right. for a while right. Right. and said that since we are in the privileged position, we have more duty to speak out for the people that are being oppressed. So he had right. been working as a, you know, freedom fighter, civil rights yeah. person for a while and he was jailed and I believe killed for it. Yeah. Uh, which goes to show that you, you can't paint any one any, um, group with the same brush. See, I'm very fascinated by this. Like, so I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you again. Any, um, any historical parallels there that you can think of? I mean, I don't know. I guess, like, the, the, the a very obvious one would be Oscar Schindler. Yeah. Um, right. You can, he was, he, not only was he German, he was a member of the Nazi party. So it's easy to say, oh, a member of the Nazi party. Terrible. But, mm. you know... Yeah, great sacrifice to himself, um, his own wealth and his own safety. Yeah. Um, worked to save many, many Jews. So, but I think that's a good example. I think what works about this too is that it goes back to what you and I had been saying about having Chekhov on the original series, having a Russian on the bridge of the Enterprise. Just the fact that he was there was the statement, right? Yes. And I get a similar vibe with this because you could point to historical examples but like it's not it's not too on the nose because it also makes sense within the world that discovery takes place in at that specific time so you could yeah, draw parallels to the real world but if not it still works anyway yes and it makes very much sense that we instead of it just being as simple as Chekhov being on the bridge here right. we have to see it play out because in the show, in the world of the show, this is happening in real time. Right. I mean, dare we uh, use a uh, dare we use the word that we've been using for Picard so much? Dare we say tasteful? Do we dare dare do we bring that in, or do we maybe have another word <laughs> for discovery? Uh, uh, tasteful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's reserved for only the finest. Yeah. The I would say, I would say for me, it's compelling. It's compelling. Yes, it's whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's great that it was solved by communicating and just finding out more about each other. Yeah. Now, there was, a, you know, it was all, obviously, this is a written show, so it all wrapped up very nicely. But it could have very well been a possibility where they found out more, and it wasn't very helpful at all. And the person was just a, <laughs> a shitty Orion. I, 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 think, I think my only problem with it, um, and it kind of echoes what you said, that there didn't really seem to be much at stake and maybe that was the point right but i i didn't i know one of them died in the crap but like it just it didn't feel like the deer could have died they could have all died right and you said uh the biggest thing they did was adira was on some thin ice right it reminds me of a deep space nine episode called the ascent where quark and odo crash land on a planet together two people who hate each other 
But in order to survive, they have to carry this extremely heavy transmitter up to the very top of a mountain. They have to, like, take turns carrying it. Right. So you have two people who hate each other, but they also have to carry this very heavy object. Forced to work together. Forced to work together. And you know what? When the episode ends, you'd, you would think, we spent all this time together, we can look past each other. They say, I still hate you. <laughs> right. Yeah. But at least they've learned that they can work together. Yes. The point was not to mend their relationship. But to be like, okay, we can still work together if we have to, if we're forced to, but right. I still hate you. <laughs> the way to say, yeah, even people that hate each other can, can work toward the same cause. Right, right. So here, I would have liked something better than that. I know there was sort of a strategy thing where they had to mm. shoot from above and all that. Um, but I don't know. It just didn't feel that satisfying. I, I prefer no. the, the scenes of them no. working it out to the scenes of them um, implementing the plan. Yeah, I mean, this was, again, uh, this was a classic Star Trek uh, trope. I mean, you had two. You had a crashed shuttle, but then you also had people who have um, serious differences with each other in a situation where they have to put those differences aside and work together in order to get out of there alive. And we've seen this dozens of times, maybe hundreds, I don't know. Throughout the 800 plus episodes of Trek, we've seen this played out over and over and over again. And I think that one of the reasons why it works so well here is also that even though we've seen it many times, we haven't seen it happen in a while. Right, exactly. I mean, Lower Decks did it recently. Yes. So, yeah, so I but, think. Yeah. As far as I think this is what we've been wanting from Discovery is you know just tell some simple classic right. type stories. Well, I think have to. It, it's as if you know for a whole long story of a whole season like last season, like a lot of to quote Shakespeare, like a lot of sound and fury amounting to nothing. Right. And this is much less sound and fury, but amounting to much more. And we've been seeing that for a few episodes. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, really, when you get right down to it in this particular plot, there's nothing we haven't seen. It's nothing we haven't seen before in Trek, right? I think, but I think what makes it different from the other ones is that it's, it's framed. The framing device is Tilly trying to find a new path, a new place for herself. And this situation gave her that path, right? Because it used to be, oh, they just crash land on a planet. They've got to survive. There's something out there, right? The other Trek shows didn't do much else with it. They would, they would sometimes bring something new to it. But I think what makes it work in Discovery's case, again, is that it's teed up with Tilly trying to... It's built up, it's built on from the last couple of episodes of Tilly feeling like she can do something more, wants to find a place, and this is the opportunity that presents itself. Oh, absolutely. And, and I love, really do love, too, that she finds out she's quite good at it. Well, see, and that's... The other... So, I'm gonna... This is another th good thing that I think the show is doing. Is that... With Tilly, it's not... and. The same can go with Grey and Adira, I think, in some ways. But it's not being sort of needlessly dragged along, right? 
Detmer was needlessly dragged along. It's almost like the writers didn't want to do it, and they're like they're trying to avoid it as much as possible, right? Right, and, and so we talked about how with Detmer, each each moving of that plot forward, if you can even call it that, was just we would have a scene of her like looking disoriented, and then right. it's like okay, forget it, now. We'll come back to that later. So, but right. here it's like we got a story with the beginning, middle, and end that also moves yeah. along. That's the difference. Detmers, I felt like, just kept getting put off until they were like, they were like, just, just say it's PTSD, it's fine. Like, I don't even like, maybe, maybe it wasn't even supposed to be PTSD, and that was just the decision they arrived on to get themselves out of the corner they potentially wrote themselves into. But why we thought it was more of a yeah infection or a yeah, which, as I said, the resolution of that I think is insulting to people who have suffered with PTSD. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, you ask for help and you shoot up a, uh, shoot up a ship and then. Right. Good. So, uh, yeah. and this culminated in this episode with her leaving Discovery and taking Kovic's offer to teach at the Academy. But, you know, before I sort of talk about that port, portion of it, you know, I, I liked the moments between her and Michael in their old quarters. Yeah, so we've talked about this a lot. The fact that, remember way back when they were roommates and they had a relationship and it was kind of interesting and it seems yeah. like they've been um, coasting on those few scenes from the first season to just keep insisting that they're best friends and they love each other and they're so close. Well, so it, this scene was fantastic. It's because early on, right? Remember in the first season, Michael didn't have a rank. She was specialist. She had no rank. She was really lower decks in a lot of ways. And right. Tilly was a and Tilly at that time was a cadet. So like the two of them were like as low as you could get. Yes. So naturally they would bond and be friends, right? And by the way, can I just say I love that we can now say use lower decks as like an adjective. Sure. Yeah, so we know exactly what we're talking about. Um I just love that. So um I'm just gonna retroactively apply that to, to um, of the Trek shows. It's great. Thank you, Mike McMahon. Um, but as Michael moved back up, that relationship kind of fell off, right? So, and I think that is what made Tilly kind of be on her own. I mean, as I mentioned, she sort of, she had something going on with Stamets because they just, because they're science, right? But that's really, that was really all it was. So, he was her boss. He was her boss, right. Right. Back when he was kind of an asshole in the beginning of the show, let's be honest. But, um, yeah. And so, but I, I have to say, I, I, I guess I may have zoned out in that scene at first because when Tilly is talking to Michael about how unhappy she is and Michael kind of looks at her and says, and you know, Tilly's talking about her mom and everything like that. And Michael's like, you want to go back, don't you? And I'm like, back. Oh, she got like to the 23rd century. She can go back in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because, I mean, that makes much more sense. Yeah, I did. I it it didn't. I didn't think back to Starfleet Academy because she didn't. Yeah, that wasn't made very clear. Right, because to me, when you say you want to go back, especially given the fact that they jumped forward, I thought back to the twenty third century. Right. Which I still would have been okay with, but yes, I guess we still have to live with that central conceit, which is that 
They went to the future, and everyone said, no, time travel is illegal, and everybody was just totally accepted that. I was like, okay, never mind. Well, and it's Kovic who's the one who says that, and she was talking to Kovic earlier, so I thought, oh, is she going to be like, please? Can you just please send me back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that is a big pill to swallow. Yeah. No yeah, one yeah. on the crew is, like, trying to find, oh, is there a black market time travel, you know, scene or something? Well, But we can you, accept it. Well, but the thing is, you and I had said, I said to you last season, I'm like, with all the shit that's going on, like, how who's enforcing this no time travel law and with the universe right. in shambles? How is that still being upheld in some, some way? Right. right. Don't you think, I don't, I don't think the chain would have followed that directive. No. Why hasn't, why, ha, why haven't they pulled a Captain Janeway in the final episode of Voyager, not liking how things turned out, gone back in time to try to fix it? You know, why didn't you try to go back in time and stop the burn from happening or something like that, right? Like, why didn't anybody honestly, do that? Honestly, if you were in the actual Star Trek universe, like, I think Captains yeah. from the Future would be popping up, like, every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> walk along. Right. From different futures. Yes. Oh, that should be, that should be something, that should, that should be something that Lower Decks does. Remember, the, like, the way they just normalize the whole, like, oh, transport really- malfunction. Oh, he's just another time-traveling Captain from the Future. It's fine. <laughs> That's great, yeah. I want Lower Decks to normalize that. Yeah, like they have an actual protocol that they use when emergency time travel. Yes. Right, exactly. So, um, but Tilly, of course, leaves to uh, become an instructor at Starfleet Academy per Kovic's, um, you know, offer. But, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the dialogue uh, in front of me and I wish I, I should have written it down. But when Tilly got back and she's having that conversation with Kovic, you know, Kovic said something very interesting to her where he's basically, again, I don't have the exact lines, but essentially saying like, you know, suggesting like how strange they all seem to them just because of the time they came from where like the world they came from was all based off of like hope and everything. But that was the Federation and the world of Starfleet that we knew as well. Yes. He's also talking about the viewers too. Some yeah. acknowledgement right. of those differences. Right. So I think it was actually two scenes in a row where we got a great, we got to hear about the other perspective of something right. we already seen. So we got to hear Tilly say, I was afraid that you were going to kill me in my sleep. Right. He was a mutineer and she was, you know, kind of scared by There's the old wounds again. There's potentially the old wounds there. Yeah, Tilly yeah. lost some sleep. Well, but, but, but. I think this also reinforces my belief that Michael could be heading for the presidency. Because Bec- she's the only one that has the hope still. And what does every president want to be? No, no. Mostly when they run is the hope. Well, I, I should get more broad. I think this sort of reinforces the kind of like beacon of hope, per se, that the Discovery crew represents to this future. Because you have Michael, who remembers what the Federation once was could be a good president to get them back on track in terms of how they approach everything. But then you also have Tilly who's helping to train these new cadets with the knowledge of the Federation and the ways that she was taught, which is 930 years ago. So like you have these sort of pillars of Michael and Tilly. So I, I I don't know. That's just a theory. It makes sense to me, but yeah. Yeah. Something just occurred to me. Yeah. It almost seems as if the show could be setting up for its end game, where it's lining up a lot of characters for like what could be their ride off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tilly's a Starfleet professor. 
yep. structure, I believe they call them. Um, Michael's the president of the Federation. Saru is uh, some kind first of dipl- lady of Navarre. Did you say first lady? <laughs> well, he's some kind of diplomat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, I think he marries her and becomes mm. first lady. Well, he did mention that his people are um, making their way back into space again. So there could be some diplomatic thing for his home world, though. But she asked him to see. That's true. That's true. I think that the first the- Kelpian of Navarre, but I like when you say first lady. I think that was a wink, wink. Tea, yeah, you know I mean? right. Someone invite you up for coffee? Of course. Favorite Seinfeld moment. Understand. One of my favorite Seinfeld moments. Um, no, but you're right, though. I, I, you know, somebody on the Trek BBS actually was postulating that this, wondering if this is the show's last season. And I think because you, you kind of use the same reasons you did. Um, and also auspiciously, usually when Discovery comes back, they announce the next season within weeks. And so mm-hmm. we haven't heard anything yet on a season five. I know we've unofficially gotten a season five. It's unofficially been stated. But let me tell you what. If this was Discovery's final season, if the quality of the show that we're at now is maintained throughout the rest of the season, I'd be disappointed that this was the last season. Because like, oh, you have you have four seasons and one of them is only really good, and it would only end when the show gets really interesting. Ah, uh, use another Seinfeld reference. Don't you want to go out and leave them wanting more? I yes, but I still think they could do one more. I still think they could do one more. Um, yeah, I, I I would say if they do a good one, which so far they are, right? Yeah. I would be fine with them ending. I mean, come on, let's admit it, right? In our minds, we're like, this is really weird, and it seems like a fluke. Right. That it's good. You want them to catch that lightning in a bottle again? But I also, given the hassle that they just went through to get the show removed from Netflix and be a Paramount Plus exclusive, I can't see them ending it after one season of that. Business-wise, it doesn't really even make any sense to me. Maybe five seasons... I, I just I don't think that for I don't I don't think that this is it. I don't know though. You got you're gonna have lower decks is probably doing great. Yep. Engine Worlds is gonna be doing great. Yeah, yep. you're right though. Probably one more because they yeah. don't have enough. And Prodigy just fills in the gaps wherever <laughs> wherever they need it wherever they need it to. Right. Those poor guys. Um, Prodigy, yeah, it's like yeah, we're gonna, it's almost like they're making it for syndication. Well, I think, but also the the suggestion seems to be that Picard was designed to go only like three seasons. Um, I don't think we're going to have a long, long-term commitment with Picard. Right. I would say the show, I know the show's getting at least three seasons. They're, they're filming season three. They're about to begin film, filming season three. I've already seen some. Uh, covert set photos. So, um, but right. let me let me let me get back to what I was saying about discovery really quick. So, the suggest, but it goes back to the series that we're talking about, the other shows. The suggestion now seems to be, the theory now seems to be because there is a, um, like Section Thirty One, a Starfleet Academy series that's supposedly coming. Um, 
And like Giorgio's episodes last season, is this sort of like Tilly's send-off to be the lead of an Academy series? Um, I Sorry. Whether that's the case, I, I, I don't know. But um, my similar question I would have, though, is I've got no indication that the Academy series is like is nigh same with the section 31 series so why are you getting rid of them so quickly when you could maybe get some more mileage out of them before but i mean semantics i guess my sinews made me totally confused sorry i missed like the beginning of that so i didn't understand okay so i said um the suggestion seems to be that um, so there is a uh, a Starfleet Academy series in development, and um, like Section Thirty One, but it seems to have the same status right now as Section Thirty One production wise. And there seems to be the suggestion that Tilly is leaving Discovery, even though I know she's going to come back, but she's being set up to be the potentially the lead to lead off a Starfleet Academy series. The thing that confuses me though is like the George O thing. The Starfleet Academy series in Section 31, to me, at the moment, because nothing has really been said, it's not like they're right around the corner. If they are, I'd be very surprised. So why are you getting rid of them so quickly for shows that may not come for another, like, you know, year or two? Right. right? And honestly, if if I made my complaints clear that I feel I really felt that the Mirror Giorgio was one of the most interesting characters. And right. You make her even more interesting and then remove her from the show drove me crazy. So to do the same thing with Tilly would be very frustrating. Yeah. Actually, it would be very similar too, because really we've talked about how great her story arc has been, how wonderful, and then uh, well, to take her off would be a real bummer. Mary Wiseman. And also, I did. I don't, mm, I don't love the idea that the, um, Starfleet Academy show would be set in the discovery time. <laughs> I think, I don't know because they set it up as like you know these are the, these cadets don't haven't been to space yet these it's like sort of like the first generation of the new Starfleet Academy and it could be a, a good opportunity to get some like potential world building in there to see what else is going on but I think just on the face of it the idea of a Starfleet Academy series is not very appealing to me I mean that that's the idea of that kind of a show has gone even goes as far back as the 90s right of them doing another um it was supposed to be, that was like the original idea for Star Trek VI, actually. Then there was talk of them wanting to do it as a television series in the late 90s, 2000s. And then, so, there's definitely an idea that's been sort of like in, that's been spun around a number of times. Oh. Yeah. But um, it could, but it could be like, is this a Star Trek show that goes on like the CW? <laughs> and goes for that kind of audience. Well, I mean, because I think what they're also trying to do is have a bunch of different Star Trek shows that appeal to different demographics. Prodigy is I mean, an example. That would be the way to go, yeah. Getting, so it would, you know, make sense. And I'm sure, like, I'm not thrilled about the idea. I don't want them to teen angst CW my Star Trek, but, I mean. Uh, Riverdale is quite a weird and interesting show. And as you and I have said, I don't like there being a Star Trek out there that I don't want to watch. But, right. um... Yeah, if they CW it, it could be okay. But I, but the thing is, 
and this is all conjecture, right? I can't fault Kurtzman for that because it's growing the demographic, so I understand. Um, so, I think in, Star Trek still feels very much like mine in that respect. I'm like, don't do that to my show. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. It is strange that there was a time when the demographic grew and you didn't have to go out of your mm. way to do it. You just yeah. made something good and more people liked it. Right. I understand those days are gone. Long gone, unfortunately. But um, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. I can fully. But I mean, do you do you agree with that assessment that maybe she's getting teed up for an, to be the lead of an academy series? Possible. I really hope it's not though, because here's the thing: we've got this Starfleet that is smaller. So, right. I think you could have Tilly working at Starfleet Academy and still working closely with. She'll be a character on the show, essentially. Right. On this show. And even maybe there could be a... Um, like a, on a shipboard division of the Academy where she takes, you know, the interns for right. stints on Discovery. Yeah, because if you think back to the first season, Tilly was a cadet brought aboard Discovery. You could do... I mean, in Star Trek II, the Enterprise was a... Uh, then considered an academy training vessel. Um, but you could have like a... I mean, you could do that on Discovery, like not turn the entire ship into a into a training vessel, but like like you said, you could have some cadets brought on board for their first kind of like foray into space and how to... Absolutely. Yeah. And you need someone to make all those Captain Burnham Day banners. I mean, like, I once had an idea for a Star Trek show... Where and in a way it was kind of like lower decks that you could say, but like you had one side which was the senior officers, and the other side, the lower deck side of it, were the the academy folks, and sort of like telling parallel stories back between them, and maybe they overlap from time to time, but like it may have even been like a soap opera y concept in my mind, but um. You know, the concept was, like, the senior staff, like, you know, something happens, maybe they have to go on a away mission, and then they take one of the, uh, you know, one of the cadets with them, and so um, you essentially had, like, two casts that they would occasionally switch back and forth between. Um, But unlike Lower Decks, you know, obviously taking it far more seriously, I was was thinking of it sort of, like, as doctors in their first residency, in their residency. Like, I was sort of looking at it that way. Right? Yeah. But, yeah. Actually, so while you're talking, I have uh, YouTube up, and there's a still from the episode from someone's review, and it has the, the human that was on the mission with Tilly. And looking at the still, like, that looks, she looks like a lead in a show, you know? Tilly? No, the, the human. Oh, Obviously, yeah. Tilly would be the lead, but she looks like the human could be a lead also. I don't know if there's... Um, just, she, she has that uh, lead in a CW-type show look. But you might have, I think if you have an Academy series like that, I mean, you might have, it could be ripe with potential as far as like by setting it in the, in their century and sort of, again, like they did in this episode, the reopening of old wounds, the resolving of that, the, right, these, this generation of Academy cadets suffering from like preconceptions of 
this species and that one and you really have to and it's important to make sure they work together for the prosperity of the united federation of planets because as i said this to you the other day um very much like chancellor gorkon said in star trek 6 with the potential of the of a klingon federation of lions he says to kirk you know if there is to be a brave new world our generation is going to have the hardest time living in it and i think that would be that's almost the theme of an academy series and in my that takes place in the century in my opinion but yeah we all have better we all have great ideas in our heads but is yeah. that the show they're going to give me i don't know <laughs> if they listen I to us that really well especially tilly strikes me as the type of person that and i know teachers like this who hmm. they were really good at do, doing school and they sort of excelled at doing school, and it just sort of seemed natural to like continue doing school by becoming a teacher. Right. And she doesn't seem like that type. She's very good at following all the rules and making sure that everything's you know organized and you complete all your assignments on time. Um, so I think she definitely has the personality that would make that. Yeah, like she's as she demonstrates in this episode. I mean, she knows how to um, have fun with them. But she also knows how to really kind of, like, get down and, I mean, dirty, really, and, like... When to not put up with their bullshit. When to not put up... Yeah, exactly. When to not put up with their bullshit, so... Yeah, which is a difficult balance. Most teachers, either they, they don't put up with any bullshit, and then they are... People just think that they're assholes. Or yeah. they put up with all the bullshit and then people just think they're like your friend and not a real so it is a very fine it is very difficult to be able to joke around with your students but also uh, inspire and uh, discipline when necessary so I mean and you know like last week do you recognize do you feel like I mean maybe it wasn't as strong I don't know but having that theme that was threaded through Two plots, anyway, in this one. I mean, do you think it was? Do you think it worked this time as well? I mean, I think mixed up. So you yeah. had it seemed impossible. There was a point when they thought the deal would never happen with the Varn Federation, so that yeah. seemed not possible, and then it was. And it, I guess maybe it seemed that well, a few things. It seemed like maybe they were stuck and they couldn't get out of the situation. Yeah. Also, maybe it seemed that uh, the Telluride and the Orion, it was impossible for them to get over their animosity. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe it seemed like it was impossible for Gray to have a body. Impossible for Book to yeah, we have to come mention that to some yeah. terms with his grief. I, I. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I forgot to mention the book thing, but they only spent a few minutes, but um. I'm not saying get over it, book, but no, definitely not. But you don't have to. I don't have to see it. I, I don't. Yeah, like I. I feel like they. I, I. Nothing to do with David Ajala's talent. I just don't think that oh, he was we good. need. He was very good in the scene. That's fair. Yeah, we should point out that as an actor, he did very. He's great. Well. I just. I don't think that we. This is a thread we have to be revisiting. Every single because he wasn't. He wasn't prominent in this episode, so why are we... Like, it wasn't as if he had... It made sense previously, right? But I just think this week, I needed a timeout from it. 
to tell you the truth. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, though, it is a testament to how much better the season is. And even a smaller, I don't want to say throwaway, but a little our story like this. little update. little quick update. Right. Yeah. But when we think of, I mentioned how the PTSD line, storyline from last season was also, we got quick little updates, but they were, they didn't do anything or add anything. I think it didn't advance anything. Moving, these are at least moving a, a needle. Right. Well, or moving things along. Yeah. Kate, and I think you may be getting Culber story as Culber, as you said, becoming the therapist of the. Yeah. What do you, um, so what do you think about that? What do you think of his sort of new role in the show as, as a. Fine because what yeah. was he, the doctor before? Chief, yeah. And, uh, you know, me- mental health is, he- is health. Yep. And I think it sort of reflects the change in uh, our attitudes toward mental health, where yeah. it's not as separate from health as we used to think. So right. I think it, it works really well. Besides, it was like, kind of boring having a doctor, you know? Well, I think, you know what it was? I think it's because I'm glad they did this because I think Wilson Cruz is a really great actor. I think he's really good. But his, unlike the other Trek shows, he didn't seem to have much to do other than just doctoring, right? I mean, the doctor on Voyager, they did plots with him that, plenty of stuff with him that was not sort of medical related, right? And even all the other doctors as well. How many times, I feel like... I, I could, McCoy would disappear sometimes. I feel, I feel like McCoy, like we barely even saw him doctoring one bit, right? Because yeah, he was always he, on the bridge. Like, shouldn't you be... Were, yeah, but also there were episodes he just wouldn't be in. Right, right. But like, even... There were moments where McCoy was on the bridge, like in the motion picture, he was on the bridge the entire time while they're getting attacked by Vija. I'm like, yeah. shouldn't you be down in sickbay, Leonard? Like, what are you, what are you doing up here? Um, so yeah, they, I feel like they didn't do much with, with Culber's character outside, previous to this outside of him just being a doctor, right? I mean, he was, he's obviously Stamets' partner and, but that was kind of it. Like, what is, what else does he do? What, what else can he do? What are, what are some of the things like the doctor on Voyager at least was like expanding his programming and learning new things. And like, sometimes you know, to humorous results, like he would try to program, reprogram himself, do new things, and it would get, it would get out of control, right? He'd end up like breaking his Unimatrix, right? So, or excuse me, his Holomatrix. So, um, but they haven't ventured out with Culber too much beyond what we already know. So I like that they sort of gave him a new role as being ship's counselor. Um, and I think it really speaks to Wilson Cruz's talents because... You know, I follow him on Instagram and, you know, I see like some of his Instagram posts and like he's a very, you know, he's somebody who's just who's just filled with empathy. And I think that um, this new role that he's playing with Culber is is really good, is really fitting. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. And this also could be another ride off into the sunset thing. Yeah. Well, also consider this. It could be that we get all these characters into these new positions, and then we get one season of them in the positions, and then they bow out. Or they pull, or they do the lower decks thing and just bring them back. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that saying it out loud seems like no show would ever do that. Well, I think what they do is that they put them in these sort of key positions, and they're the ones that are sort of the 
the architects of the prosperous future that the Federation has. But I, I don't think that we're going to get it that quickly. I don't think we're going to get it so fast at the end of this season. I would not be surprised if next season was the last season. But um, I don't know. I, I still see Discovery as being as good as the season is. I still see the show as being kind of the problem child show of all of them because it, it, it just it keeps at least before this, it just kept resetting its premise. Um, right. But I think they've struck a path now. They're on a path now. Right. And we, I guess we expected they would do this last season, you know? Right. Um, but, hey, you know what? The show is working. That's a great thing. Yeah, I think we can speculate about the future all we want, but I think it's best just stay on course and just Focus on what what's coming out now, how the show is now. So, um, but yeah, good episode. I I don't, um, you know, I, I would say not as strong as last week, but still strong nonetheless. I thought last and yeah. I don't miss the gravity. No, that's the weird thing. No. It's like the main plot of the season, as it was, uh, is the one that I'm not that the one that I'm interested in the least. And I think that proves my theory from last season when you wanted to keep going back to the anomaly. I mean, the, the, the burn, burn yeah. was because the stories they were giving us were not good. We're not interested. Now they are good. So now we don't miss the main arc because the yeah. stories are good. It's, it's really, I never really considered it, but it's, you know, when you say this sort of thing, I never really thought about how quickly your sort of feelings on something can change how much more leeway you're willing to give something as long as they do a good job with it. Yes. yes. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but like I'm now we've had four. So that was the fourth episode. We've had four consistent weeks of good shows. I would say that the first episode was probably the weakest, but not, it's still not a bad episode. It's still quite good. Good foundational episode for the season. I am now, at the point now where I'm just, I am genuinely excited for the next, for the next episode. I have no doubt there's going to be a weak episode in, or episodes in there somewhere. Okay, you can't hit a home run every single week. But I'm still excited. I mean, they, they've still, they've done a lot this season to really kind of win me, to win back my praise. So. I agree. I agree. Um, how would you like a hater's corner? I would love a Hater's Corner. It's been a long time. We, Considering we were pretty much Hater's Corner last year, so I think... Uh, <laughs> yeah. We were Hater's full square. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, our, uh, one of the ridiculous people on um, YouTube made a video, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, I won't give them publicity by the name, but... Uh, uh, here we go. So the title of it, or at least like the banner thing on their on their thumbnail, Viacom CBS stock plummets to a dangerous low as mm. Star Trek Discovery season four crashes and burnums. Oh yeah. And it says here, Star Trek Discovery is the single worst television show of all time. And so apparently that's responsible for the stock falling. So I looked at CBS 
uh, I mean, if I come CBS. I don't think you even have to. I don't. You don't have to tell me who that is. I know exactly who that is just by the right. what's being said. Right. So the company has revenues of twenty five point two nine billion dollars, and that's like Disney money, dude. So we're supposed to believe that because that Star Trek one show. Discovery, it's not as good as some people want it to be that a $25 billion company is collapsing completely right. because of right. Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. That is the, one of the worst logical fallacies, which is like this one thing and this other thing are happening at the same time. Therefore, yeah. one caused the other. But the thing is, this is on YouTube, right? It's videos like that. People, what you did, people wouldn't think to go check that. That's fair. They don't know enough to go check that. Yeah, that's fair. So, that yeah. Of, yeah, what I teach my students is, you know, get all the information before you believe. Oh, I mean, if this, if the last four years have told us anything, it's like, yeah, do your research. Um, and not in the way like QAnon people say. But, yeah, I mean, what, what you say there, I mean, what that suggests is, so what, so, like, so what did you do? Give Discovery a $5 billion episode an episode budget i mean right or or <laughs> i don't know yeah i love the idea that like people on wall street are yeah. saying like i watched episode four last night and it sucked let's sell all our viacom stock i mean yeah like so so like just by selling the show internationally more than covers the show's costs i mean when they sold it to netflix in the first season internationally Netflix, I think, covered some of the some of the costs of the show, like production costs, but just selling it to Netflix um, makes up for it. I mean, Discovery's got a. I mean, right. It's a high budget show, and it and it shows, right? Yeah. But that can easily, easily, and and every and all the other truck shows around it are the same way. That can easily be absorbed into Viacom because when you think about all the other properties that Viacom owns. And also, a handful Viacom, of shows like that are not going to... Yeah. If Viacom built Paramount Plus around this one show, yep. then that's the executives at, at Viacom CBS's fault. It's not the show's right. fault. Right. To build an entire streaming platform around one show, which I don't think they have. No, and I mean, and honestly, dude, like when you... If, if that were true, or if some aspect of it were true, the, the answer is don't cancel it. It's take the budget down, slash the budget, or make it better, or make it better. Um, they they did that with Enterprise in the fourth season. Um, they made it better and they cut the budget, right? <laughs> well, so this is what's so brilliant about that season. So they they cut the budget. Now keep in mind this is early two thousands. So budgets back then for the first Trek were like maybe like one million dollars an episode, maybe a little bit more. They slashed that to be like I think it was like I I don't have my numbers in front of me. It could be it was something like seven hundred thousand or eight hundred thousand per episode, right? That's why you. That's why that season had those three part story arcs because it was cost effective to build some build a set for one episode and then use it three. two more times, and right? I mean the quality as well. I mean the quality was was better too. But like, they approach creatively. They approach it. Sometimes limits 
make people be creative in the best way. Well, the approach was just write movies. Just just write them as movies. Write 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 a three out like write a three hour movie for Enterprise, and that's what those episodes were. And I've said this on our show before. Me as a video editor who does that for a living, who is not using studio production facilities right now because I work remotely. I record stuff virtually all the time. When I was doing this at the beginning, the limitations that we had, I didn't look at them as a roadblock. I looked at them to say, how can I get creative? What can I do? And as an artist my entire life, I think that is what makes a good artist is somebody who has to work within limitations but figure out new things that they can do within those limitations i think our favorite movies are perfect examples of that i mean you're a star wars fan i think that's a perfect example of of coming up with new things to do with limitations oh absolutely ghostbusters you know they had to do it all so fast right right yeah it's so, true i think that when when you have and when you have every option available to you, it's very hard to make decisions. It is. Because you can do anything. So we right. can have limits and different things that you sort of have to work into whatever you're coming up with. It, it just at least gives you some parameters in which to create. Right, and you have to figure out, like, within these limitations, you have to how to de how to effectively delegate your resources and be like well you know most of the money could go towards this but we let's be mindful of that or you know you have to you have to budget it more efficiently as well so i i, I always as an artist i've always i always like that don't don't give me too many options it's like don't give me too many options for anything no because part of the creative process is working with what you have that's a major 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 factor in my opinion Work is just working with what you have and making it work. And it's like you, the viewer, you don't have to know. If you want to know, I mean, cool, I always want to know, but you don't have to know how the sausage is being made. So, um, say again. Say that again. I can't hear you. I cannot hear you. Can't hear you. Nope. Can't hear you. Now you can, though, right? No, I can. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. One, One more, more thing I want to say. I want sure. to add something. No. Um, we forgot to mention that not only was this written by the writer of Halloween 4, there was another writer, um, Eric J. Robbins. Yes. And the interesting thing here is that he worked on the show Homecoming, which is quite good. Um, and it seems like he was a production assistant and an editor. Now, I don't know if that's a story editor or well, a film editor. Not film, you know. He'd be credited as a, he'd be credited as a story editor, probably. Right, right, right. Was, so yeah. it's interesting that um, 
someone was editing experience. Because I think that's one of the things that we've talked about. It seems like there were no editors on the writing staff. And hmm. I've seen a couple of people with story editor, editor credits, um, and him being another one. So I just want to make sure that he got some mention, given that we gave the other writer. Uh, yeah, I want, I want to ask you. I definitely want to ask you before we close this out, because you and I are always obsessed with wanting to know the ins and outs of all this stuff. We like dirt, essentially, but... I mean, what happened? I really want to know, like, what what happened back there? Like, why are they suddenly... Right? I just, I really want to know. Yeah. We have the same showrunner who we would, one would assume would Mm. be the person most responsible for how it all comes together. And yet we've had two seasons of her before this that were failures in our opinion. Right. So, very strange. Like, as you, as a teacher, have you been in a situation where you have a student who's just not performing well, and then all of a sudden they just do this turnaround, and you're like, what the, what happened? How did you? Yes. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, though, is that they, when that happens, they are getting feedback and, you know, taking the feedback. Right. So, they listen to our show. Right. They took back. Now, I guess it is promotional, the things that they do, particularly Paradise. So maybe it's all just promotional. It's all marketing fluff, yeah. She always talks as if the show is nailing it. Right. And that's the world. And that was our worry because we thought if they're going to continue season four like the same way they did season three, they think they did a brilliant job in season three. So that's sort of like the, that's like their barometer for what's good. Yeah. But I guess they have to be salespeople, and even if it's a steaming pile of garbage, they have to come out and say, this is such a good season. Well, I have to believe. I know that it was the case in the old days, but they did, they did go online and look at forums and stuff and see what people were saying. So, like, sales numbers and viewership, like, that says one thing, but that doesn't tell you if people are liking it. So right. I think we, we joked that that was why they went into the future. And same with the Klingons. They gave the Klingons hair again in season two. Like, yeah. 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 I, the vibe was, oh, people want to want to show this in the future, and they don't like that we keep messing with canon, so let's just go. <laughs> right. But let's create strange new worlds, right? Um, Make everybody happy. I, I, but I, I definitely think there is an element to them listening to the feedback that the fans are saying. and But to what extent? How much of an how much of a impact do people like you and me have on on the show um i'm not saying that this jump in quality is solely because of us or any, or maybe i don't know i don't think the, i think it is but they'll never admit it because then we'll have to get consulting fees true and, you know they don't want to pay us true but um, okay I'm pr- proud to do my part yeah so but fan feedback is really important and i think that they definitely i think they definitely do listen um, again, the question I have is to hum- to what extent, and I and I will end this by saying this: I think the way we're critiquing this season, how enthusiastic we've been feeling about this season, is really a testament to what we've always said. You know, we were very negative about last season. We were negative about the last half of season two for quite some time, and we kept having to tell people, like, you know, we're not haters. You know, when the show succeeds, we will say so, as we did do various times last season. When there was a good episode, we we were we would say so. So I think this proves that 
we're not people who are just out to hate the show no matter what it does. We're, we're giving an honest critique of what we thought. And when the show, when we when we think the show has done something well, we will say. When we think it's done something bad, we will absolutely yeah. say. And if anyone, which you all should, go back and listen to all of our episodes, yeah, you will hear that from season one, we're generally positive. About 40% of the way through season two, we're pretty positive. And yeah. then second half of season two and all of season three most of, there were some there were some moments in season three but for the most part That's, yes. yeah not um, all negative but certainly not all negative critical. certainly more negative than positive um yeah more critical yeah i i, I think you and i are extremely arrogant for improvement i think you and i are extremely um fair to the show i really do me, me too yeah um we don't have an axe to grind, nor do we have an axe to polish. Right. But looking that, forward to work, but way. looking forward to the new episode that's coming next week. It seems to me that they're going to go back based on the trailers that I've seen, that we're going to get a little bit of an update on the uh, DMA. So, um, uh, cool. I mean, I'm. I'm Looking forward to seeing what they're going to do, and I hope I, I hope it's uh, I hope they uh, have a winner in this one too. Yes, yeah. but My I think is growing. And again, we'll continue to take note of who who has written it, and I think that you know you and I are beginning to, particularly you, identify who those key people are. To what is, to what a good episode is going to be. So like, oh, it's written by. It's written by McElroy. Okay, it's probably, oh, all right. So we know what we're in for. So I think we're I think we're getting good about identifying um, what to expect mm-hmm. from certain uh, people on the show. So mm-hmm. cool. Well, uh, if anybody wants to reach out and vibe with us, you can do so on Instagram at in Star Trek We Trust podcast and on Twitter at Star Trek We Trust. And in the meantime, we'll be back next week. Peace out.